Greetings my good humans and welcome to Lefteris Ask Science edition number 29. Or should this be a season 2? I don't know, it doesn't matter. I took some time off, both to understand how I want to do this podcast and what other things I want to do in order to share more science. Because that is the point of this podcast, to share the love for research, evidence and curiosity. During this time, I sat down, made some plans and realized that, firstly, I have a lot of them, and two, if I want to actually do all these things I have in my head, I need help. I can learn how to animate, edit videos, write music, but that would delay the plans by a lot. So the other solution is to hire people to do this, very talented people. And while I'm going to do it from my own pocket, it will be nice if I have some support from you, the people that listen to this podcast. That's why I created a Patreon account. You can find the link to the Patreon in the description or just simply go to patreon.com forward slash lefteriasks and you'll find it. For as little as $2 a month, you can help make this podcast and all the future content possible. Now, on with today's show where we meet an old friend of the podcast. Dr. Alad Roberts from the University of Manchester is back on the show and he's fascinating research on biomaterials that made the rounds on the internet some time ago. It even reached the Stephen Colbert show, I shit you not. The main question that we'll try to answer here today is, how do we build houses on Mars? If we're going to colonize, as some people dream of, then we need a way to build houses, right? And we're not gonna transport concrete on rockets, that's stupidly expensive. But there's another solution to that, and Dr. Roberts find out using space dust and blood. Yep, you heard correctly. But. Before we go on with the details, we should firstly meet Dr. Roberts. My name's Alad Roberts. Uh, I have a background in chemistry, um, yeah, a master's degree in chemistry in the University of Liverpool. And then I did a PhD uh, jointly at the University of Liverpool and uh, Singapore. And after that, I decided I wanted to pivot a bit from, from chemistry into um, materials chemistry and materials engineering and I got a postdoc that was on the interface of uh, yeah, materials engineering and synthetic biology uh, which I thought was in- really interesting uh, and essentially this postdoc involved synthetic spider silk we were, we were working with some biologists who were making synthetic spider silk and my job was to try and process that and spin it into fibres and I really liked this so I, I kind of carried on working in a similar area uh, so I did a, a further postdoc where I kind of became more integrated into the, the biotechnology side of things and did a lot of the techniques myself. But in this postdoc, we were investigating um, synthetic spider silk as a, as a glue, as an adhesive. Um, and then from there, we made the anti- accidental discovery that um, this protein from cow blood was very good at sticking glass together. Uh, and then from there, we made the inference that if you can stick glass together well, it should be able to stick sand together well. Uh, so we did some tests, we, we confirmed that. And then from there, we kind of uh, went forward and, and made the discovery that a protein from human blood can stick together moon dust and Mars dust quite well. And that's how the, the project got going. Once again, before we go over the specifics of the adhesives made from cow or human blood, we need to discuss why glues work. A lot of the kind of synthetic modern glues, they essentially work through forming strong chemical bonds and covalent bonds. And 
yeah, you'll have essentially small molecules with reactive chemical groups on them. And then when you stick something together through exposure to you to oxygen in the air, it triggers the chemical reaction that causes them to cross-link together. So all join together through these chemical bonds and also form similar strong chemical bonds to like the surface of materials. So this is how you know, man-made, a lot of man-made, you know, adhesives, uh, petroleum-derived adhesives work. But nature um, generally uses like a different mechanism. So if you look at natural glues in, in the real world, like um, spiders make like a, a strong glue that they put in their webs to catch their prey. Um, things like mussels and other shellfish will produce a very strong glue that sticks to rocks and stuff. Uh, typically, these use um, a very different mechanism. Um, so spider silk glues in particular, they use hydrogen bonding interactions of uh, proteins. And what happens here essentially is um, you'll have, they'll produce proteins in their spider silk and initially they'll all be kind of um, folded up together into like a, a parcel. So these proteins are globular, like small little blobs. And then under certain conditions, when the spider spins its silk, it changes the the chemical environment slightly, so it slightly changes the, the amount of water, slightly changes the pH. And this triggers these globules to unfold. Um, and then as they unfold, they become unstable and then they will interact with other proteins that are unfolding um, and bond together, not through chemical crosslinks, but through these, these bonds called hydrogen bonds. Um, so, yeah, essentially they're re relatively weak interactions, but you can have a lot of them. And if obviously if you have a lot of them, they'll add up to become very strong um, bonds. But the other interesting thing about this type of bonding mechanism is um, these hydrogen bonds are reversible, so they can break and reform, um, whereas chemical bonds, once they're broken, they're typically, they're, they're broken forever. So this makes a lot of like these natural base adhesives reversible. So um, this is one of the reasons why spider silk is very tough, because the bonds can break and reform, allowing it to, to be strong and stretchy rather than brittle. The first time we met Dr. Roberts, he was working with spider silk and creating glues. So you can imagine that it's not a huge leap of research topic. We're still gluing stuff together here. But for those that are wondering, Dr. Roberts didn't just go through a big list of potential materials that would work as glues. But the protein from cow blood was, wasn't deliberate. It was an accidental discovery. So essentially, um, when you're doing... Um, experiments always a good idea to have a, have a control so something that you don't think is going to work so you can have a benchmark and then see how much better the other thing is so this this protein from cowbird was supposed to be the baseline to see how much better the spider silk glue would work uh, so we picked this protein just because it's very cheap it's very common and it's used for all sorts of control experiments like this in biotechnology uh, but to our surprise we found that it was uh, very sticky, uh, you know, had a very high kind of adhesive strength. Initially, we thought we must have made a mistake uh, because this is kind of the reason you do these control experiments is to test if, you know, you haven't got a false positive. Um, maybe, you know, so we thought, oh, maybe there's a mistake with our calculations. Maybe we've done some other type of mistake because we weren't expecting this, this protein from cow blood to uh, be so sticky. But then we looked into it, we double-checked everything, we found no, actually... It actually is very sticky. Um, 
And then we did like a bit of background, you know, literature searching, and we found there's historical precedent for using um, blood essentially as a glue. So back in the olden days, they used all sorts to, of proteins to stick things together, things like cheese and egg whites, but also blood from, from cows and pigs. Um, so there's historical precedent, and this is the main protein in blood plasma. So we think we can, it's kind of like an accidental rediscovery rather than something brand new. The protein is called bovine serum albumin, or human serum albumin, in case of the human protein. And a similar protein exists in many other animals, and it can be used to make adhesives. But to make matters more interesting, the adhesive that Dr. Robert synthesized also includes urea. That's right, your pee. What you do have in your urine is a, a chemical called urea. It's like the main kind of solid component. It's the main ingredient after water, essentially, in your urine. Uh, the main kind of yeah waste product here that comes out in your urine. Uh, and this chemical is used routinely in biotechnology uh, as a protein denaturum. So it interferes with the, the folding of proteins and from our previous work, we've kind of like uncovered, unpicked like the mechanism of, of sticking together and it involved unfolding of the proteins and then they go into a more stable state where they, they hold everything together. Uh, so we thought, well, this protein, uh, sorry, this, this molecule from, from urine, it does affect this. So it should probably have some effect, good or bad, if our kind of hypothesis that this is the bonding mechanism is, is correct. So we thought that would be a very good way to test our, our our hypothesis so um yeah if you've got an idea it's always a good idea to you know test it to, to confirm or, or refute it so that's why we tested this uh, urea and it to our surprise it it made the glues a lot stronger as well so the, the compressive strength of the final materials were a lot stronger afterwards okay now we have the protein in blood plasma and the urine how do we make bricks since the case study for this project was to create construction material for space applications, the preparation needs to be simple and without the need of complicated or heavy equipment. Essentially, all it consists of is, is getting some of this simulated moon dust and Mars dust, um, putting it into a, we used a syringe, so any type of like cylinder, cylindrical object would, would do. But we used a syringe because they're disposable and they're, they're a nice size. Um, and then you make a solution of this protein uh, just in water, and it's at that point you can optionally add this urea as a as a as an additive. Uh, and then when you've got this liquid solution, you inject this solution. So you infuse the powder, uh, the the Moonus the Mars powder, with this um, solution. And then once it's it's fully infused. Um, you just heat it up to about 65 degrees Celsius, so it's not like boiling hot or anything. And at this temperature, the proteins um, start to denature, so they start to unfold and the, the bonding mechanism um, starts to take place. It's, it's very similar to when you fry an egg or you cook an egg. Um, yeah, so the egg whites also contain a very similar protein albumin. And when you fry the egg, they undergo this kind of similar change. And then once that's happened, then the material is strong enough that you can you can take it out of the cylinder and then you just leave it overnight at 65 degrees Celsius just to dry out. And the drying out process also facilitates the, um, 
the, the, the bonding. So after they're fully dried out, that's when they're the hardest, strongest. That's great. Now we have the cylinders of our space dust blood glue, but we of course have them in the lab and I want to test and see how well they perform and how do they compare to other construction materials. Let's start with the tests. We just used um, uniaxial compression tests. So it's quite a standard method for, for testing things like concrete. You make these small cylinders and then you put them between in a machine which essentially crushes um, the cylinder until it fails. So it measures how much force is applied until it breaks. Essentially, the um, compressive strength without any urea uh, with the moon dust in particular, it was, it was slightly stronger than the, than the Mars dust. But yeah, the ultimate compressive strength was up to 25 megapascals. And ordinary, normal, bog standard concrete is, I think, it's generally in the region of like 19 to uh, 30 or 35, I think, megapascals. So it is in within the region of ordinary concrete. And we were very surprised by this. We weren't expecting it to be as strong as normal concrete. You can have higher strength concrete, so super high strength concrete, which goes up to like 90 megapascals compressive strength. Um, but yeah, we we're very surprised that it, it, it got to that region. And then when you incorporate urea, the highest um, ultimate compression strength was up to 40 megapascals. So it was, yeah, very good. Now, constructing buildings in space is a great and a useful task for the future. But what about now? Is there a case study where construction materials can be made and be used here on Earth? Would there be a reason why we want to do that? First of all, there's a lot of historical precedent for using proteins as glues and binders. Um, so even up to like World War II, um, there were certain planes that were glued together with like a cheese-based glue. So it was a British one called the Mosquito. It was made of wood and that was all stuck together with a cheese-based glue. Um, so it's only really relatively recently within the last hundred years that, you know, with the yeah, growth of the petrochemicals industry, have we kind of forgotten and moved away from all these natural biopolymer and protein-based binders. Um, and if you look further into the past, yeah, blood was used from animals, you know, waste from abattoirs was used for all sorts of um yeah, applications, including as a binder or, or adhesives for certain things. So there's a lot of historical precedent. Um, but when we develop like, you know, chemistry and petrochemical based methods to make synthetic adhesives, we kind of just moved away from all that. And a lot of that has been forgotten. Obviously, now these days with, you know, sustainability and, uh, you know, circular economy um, in mind, we want to move away from, you know, petrochemical based feedstocks and we want to you know move back to something else move on to something else so there is a potential we could go back to the future so to speak you know we could go back to these protein and biopolymer based um binders so that is something i'm looking at um so i have a, have a startup now where, where we're looking at um plant-based binders for um yeah not moon dust and mars dust obviously but other types of um, inorganic binder uh, to produce what we hope will be uh, relatively green, sustainable alternatives to cement, concrete and ceramic materials. So, yeah, I think there is definitely some potential there. When you're doing research in an academic environment, 
there are more things that you need to consider other than does it work and how much better it is. In an academic setting, you'll need to have an idea as to why your sample works. In this case, why the protein from blood plasma combined with the urea makes such a good glue. There are a few kind of competing kind of ideas uh, in the scientific literature about how um, proteins stick things together. Um, and in our previous study, we conducted a, uh, an experiment where we observed the, the protein's secondary structure. So essentially how it's folded and how this changes over time as the glue sets. And we found from that study there was a very significant change in the protein secondary structure to ha end up with a very high portion of these beta sheet structures, which cause a lot of the hydrogen bonding. So from that, that is how we kind of inferred the mechanism. Um, and we did a similar, very similar type of experiment for, for this Mars dust um, uh, project using human serum albumin, and we found the same um, mechanism was, was occurring. So that is our understanding of, of what's happening at the fundamental level. And when this was supported again when we added the urea, because we made a prediction based on the mechanism that urea would have a, a strong effect. Um, and then when we did the test, it did have a strong effect. So the fact that we can make a prediction um, and there was confirmation of the mechanism is, is a strong kind of um, support for our, for our proposed mechanism. The test is called um, circular dichroism. So essentially, we use polarised light to um, investigate the secondary structure of the protein. So a lot of the structures in, in proteins, they are asymmetrical. So they'll have like twists around a specific axis, so specifically going left instead of right, for example. So if you shine polarised light through um, over specific wavelengths, there is difference in the absorption of, of, of left-handed rotating light and right-handed rotating light. And from this difference in the absorption, you can infer the secondary structure of the protein. So you can essentially see um, how the protein is, is folded and assembled. And you can specifically see uh, two main types of, of protein structure, so alpha helixes and beta sheets, where alpha helixes are generally um, associated with globular proteins that are like well-formed packages, and the beta sheets, a very high proportion of beta sheets, are um, when they're unfolding and interacting together in extended structures. Before we let Dr. Roberts go, I wanted to pick his brain about the trends in green bio-based synthetic glues. Our reliance on the petrochemicals is going down, as it should be, but I was wondering what is the trend for biomaterials and what are the considerations for them? There's still quite a lot of fundamental work going on on all sorts of different systems. I think the ones that have the most potential will be essentially the ones that are the most economical, have the best green credentials, um, and don't affect food supplies. So any kind of like bio-based um, material from animal waste, animals 
are just not feasible. It all has to be plant-based, essentially, or engineered uh, microbes, like yeast or something, producing the, the organisms, the, the, the materials of interest. Um, so, yeah, essentially, I think the, the, the cheapest, the greenest, and, and anything that isn't reliant on, like, you know, it's not using something that could be eaten um, are the most feasible. So anything, yeah, not reliant on the food chain, I think, are the, the, the substances which have the most potential. And that's it for another edition of Lefteris Ask Science. I would like to thank, firstly, Dr. Roberts for taking the time to talk to me, and also my good humans with a cape on Patreon, Sylvie Heck and Sofia Shanko. If you would like to get a shout-out at the end of the podcast, go to patreon.com forward slash Asks and become a $10 Patreon. There are other tiers, of course, so go to the Patreon page that is linked in the description and check them out. Go to the show notes and find more links about Dr. Roberts, my newsletter, and more. Until we meet again, please take care of yourselves, and of course, be kind. <laughs>